0: You are listening to the HingeWork Podcast, a conversation about creativity, joy, and authenticity from the overflow of true community.
1: Hey guys, welcome to the HingeWork Podcast. That's our. His name's Gabe McMullen. That's, that's me. That's Kent over there. I'm over here, and we've got two special guests tonight.
0: One of them <laughs> is. I'm uh, <laughs> j-
2: <laughs> Well, I'm Joyous Snyder. That
0: didn't sound like Sam in Toronto.
2: No. Oh, you it were wasn't David
0: Snyder. Uh and, I'm sorry, who are you? Oh my gosh,
2: Kent. <laughs> Kent, what is happening?
3: Kent is a ham. <laughs> and I am a Sam in Toronto.
1: <gasps> you just hmm. wanted that to-
3: rhyme. That Pathetic. was the best I could come up with. <laughs> I'm really stoked right <laughs> <Dr>. now. <Seuss. laughs> <You're> just- <laughs> One of my
1: major questions was um I've only really ever known you as a photographer and you said you kind of picked up on that mm-hmm. um, in like 2009-ish mm-hmm. Era, mm-hmm. era. And so when did that kind of become a career for you and how how did that become a career for you and then um, how challenging was that financially?
2: Well, Gabe, it <laughs> never became a career for me. It became a service. Mm. So for mm. me, I think as an As an entrepreneur, I think I struggle with the role of entrepreneur because the camera to me has always been a tool of service. My hope when I pick it up is that I get to show I I get the opportunity and the privilege of showing somebody else and maybe everybody else a varied perspective of truth, Mm. something that's actually happening. You know, if if it's can I'm photographing your family my prayer that i have in my car before i open it and come into your house is god give me perspective help me to see something fresh that will that will enlighten them again and again every time they look at this image so to be honest i've always str- i've always gave i've always struggled with asking for money yeah. for things yeah. like and you know i think this is something that when you are service oriented or you're I mean, I have a I have a lot of serving issues where I've I serve too much and I don't remember to fill up the well. I think mm-hmm. some of us are can relate mm-hmm. to that. But a career is something that it hasn't become yet and I'm scared for it too, because I don't want to lose the heart behind mm. it. So even if I'm shooting right now, I'm shooting um Manheim Township Boys Lacrosse. And mm-hmm. when I'm on the field, I legit am praying for those boys. Like the whole game. And then when I edit, I keep praying. So when I'm mm. shooting, I'm praying for their physical safety and when I go home, I'm praying for their home lives and their families. Mm. So it's a service. To me, it's a lot more, it, it, it's so deeply rooted with my desire to, if I see something and I can see and empathize from where I sit, I wanna bring them with me and I wanna show them that they're heard, I wanna show them that they're valuable. Whether it's a child or grandma, somebody playing lacrosse, so be it. Everybody is, is worth a varied perspective and for me that's what photography is. Mm-hmm. So as a career, I would love for it to be a career of the heart, like something that I am committed to and that I'm in the grind for. Everything from Interactions with people that I am involved with, with the camera beyond that moment. I have a lot of improvement and I'm stoked to be working in that direction. Mm. So awesome. Yeah. Um,
0: I was going to say, I feel like you're always oh man, just so good with the words. Like you just have like a really peaceful presence about you. Mm. You um, do bring a lot of joy and like stillness and just like residing in the Lord. Um, Do you feel that way?
2: (laughs) Thank you for asking that and for saying that joy is a choice. And I think having a name like joyous is is a bit of a responsibility. To be honest, (laughs) you cannot be crabby (laughs) (laughs) at least. Yeah. How much of a drag
0: You show up at the DMV. You guys can't see
2: this, but I'm scowling hard right now. I'm really trying to look grumpy. It doesn't suit you. I'll tell you, joy is a choice. (laughs) And one thing I've learned about joy is that circumstance has nothing to do with it. Hmm. You can be poor. You can be cold and hungry and choose joy. And I can promise that is true. I've done it.
0: I know filmmaking and, like, documentary-type stuff is in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. I know living in your car was in there. I know living off of... I think you were living in a car, right?
2: I was living in my car for a little bit.
0: And you were, like, living off $7,000 a year. I,
2: yeah, there were a couple of really rough years. There were a lot of rough years, actually. Yeah. But if we want to go all the way back to the beginning, we can. Yes. Um... Grew up in Lancaster City in a multicultural home that was influenced by the Pennsylvania Dutch culture and the Japanese culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the, I had, I was raped when I was three. So that led to, I started drinking and doing drugs when I was six, when I drink, drinking and smoking when I was six. And I over, that got bigger and I overdosed when I was 13. I became a believer in a very precarious way. Um, My parents were members of General Christian Chat Network. It was a chat room, a Christian chat room. They had a small community, an online community of believers that they were open with. They had never met each other. So when Stephen number one, which was his handle, came to Lancaster, they signed off their 13 year old girl to him and he took me to Philadelphia where I became a believer. At that point, by the time I was 13, I'd been practicing fiery Wicca for three years. And I was involved as, I mean, even though I was 13, I was the most adult 13-year-old. That I I can explain it just quickly that way. Like it was, um, I was not a normal child. I was pretty advanced in maturity. Um, So (laughs) that, I became a believer in a Messianic Jewish synagogue called Beth Yeshua in Philadelphia. Got baptized in the ocean the next day by Stephen number one. And Heather Wax was his friend who was there. I came back and my parents were not cool with any of it. (laughs) But then the following week, I jumped in a van with... This is like the 70s. <laughs> like the 70s. <laughs> then I just got in the van with this guy. So I got in a van with um, Doris and Orlando Pattini also from the chat room, and we decided to drive down to Texas. So we drove down to Texas and kind of came up through the center of the states, and it was a very sobering journey for me. I made some friends and ended up staying in Virginia for a month with other friends that didn't know my parents. But I came to love, um, and that whole time... I think that was a really crucial time because um, I was established very strongly in my own faith. So fast forward a little bit. That was where I honestly, in every every meaning of the word, was born again. I was, the version of me when I was 13, I have... I was angry, I was vindictive, I was I stole lots of things, I lied a lot, I was I was afraid of so many things, and then I knew the Lord all of a sudden and I, I, it was almost like I rebooted, like, okay, everything's wrong, <laughs> everything's wrong, and I just dove right in. Mm-hmm. Fast forward a bit, I believe that God was calling me to be a missionary specifically to Middle Eastern women, I wanted to go, this is before 9-11, I wanted to go to Afghanistan and minister to
1: hmm.
2: Muslim mm-hmm. women. And I felt it so strongly. And I, I, Syria, in particular, mm-hmm. was pooling me with my prayers. So I would pray for Syria and then like wait for God and open doors for Afghanistan. So um, I was looking into Columbia International University, I was going to go there and then realize that college costs money, and I'm not kidding. Like it just hit me. Like if I go here, mm-hmm. I'm about to owe a lot of money to somebody. Yeah. So I didn't have peace in my heart and said, "Well, God, this can't be for for me. You are not gonna this. I don't see you here. I don't have peace." Mm-hmm. So I came home and I was so reluctant. The call was still there in my heart with my prayers. But over and over again, I heard, well, you, I guess, are supposed to be a missionary in Lancaster. And I was so bored and angry with that result. Mm. I'm not gonna be a missionary to Lancaster. No one's <laughs> gonna know my name then. Mm. And I was so whiny about it. Um, but okay, then God helped me be content. I joined Higher Call. Higher Call was um, also called Forerunner out of LBC, led by Keith Walker. I've Amazing of group of people. Yeah fantastic group of people. Um, I I believed that God was calling me when I was in that group to marry one of its members. I also have a bit of a savior complex. I understand this about myself, but I got a dream. I I believe God told me in a dream that I'm supposed to marry him. We were married eight months later. Mm -hmm. Wow. His issues became our issues in the way that I was enabling them by serving yeah. and by padding and protecting. I was preventing him from experiencing pain that he needed to grow. Yeah, And to my surprise, a baby didn't solve anything. Neither did the next one. And mission's work certainly didn't change anything either. So, now... um. These years when we were married were pretty dark. I was trying to do everything as serving tables. There were th- two years there where the church paid our bills because he couldn't use his hands. He had a tendonitis that was crippling him, and he couldn't lift. He couldn't dress himself. He couldn't lift the kiddos. Mm. Um, and it was so it was so difficult. These are really difficult years. But I remember like. Having this having this feeling of I'm not saving God. you told me that I would serve and save and I'm praying for His healing and there's no healing. There's no healing. I have seen there are very few prayers that I've prayed that have not gone answered and I'm speaking the truth, I've seen miracles unfold and it's a regular thing for me with praying asking for God, asking God for things that I know are within his will and with what he wants. But he didn't heal my husband. And mentor after mentor, they would just go through. I would, have, I would beg the church to have the elders pray over him and nothing, no change. And it was, it, we had gone back and forth to Rwanda. It was um, the third trip that we came back, it was the end of 2010, and this was the darkest trip. Um, We had gone back and forth, I had since, I kind of skipped this part, but there's a lot of parts in a life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) When I was in high school, well actually when I first became a believer, I started sponsoring a compassion child. Mm -hmm. I have a giving issue, I may give too much sometimes. By the time I graduated, I was sponsoring five compassion children on my Auntie Anne's management salary.
0: Wow.
2: (laughs) And I added four more by the time 2009 came. So, in nine children that I loved so much. So, we weren't making much money. Hmm. But in my head, my joy was seeing a difference in nine special people that I just get to pray for. I just get to give to a ministry that was benefiting them with education, Mm. with resources. And when I would get letters from them, they started asking me to come visit. I promise you I will, I will. 2009 it happened and there's lots of amazing open doors and cool stories of how it just happened, I just went. Mm. And when I was over there I saw that I could make a difference if I could bring the world here and that's what kind of, that was 2009, and that's what kicked me into gear with getting a quality camera and bringing things. I wanted to show people, without telling them in a whole bunch of words, the beauty that is in another culture that, you know, when you sit in a room with people that are believers and you don't speak the same language, but you have peace, of, you have peace and, an, and a unity of heart. Sometimes things come across in an image and I was praying that I could get one of them or two of them and I could make a difference. So got a 5D Mark II and a couple lenses. No, I was a Canon Rebel first.
1: Hey, we all start there. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I
2: got this this Canon Rebel and I was...
1: Oh, that's great.
2: I went there um, and my friend's... At the time, they were, um, they were, I mean, they're, I think, it was Peter Greer from Hope International mm-hmm. and Laurel Greer.
1: Oh.
2: Um, and they said, well, you could go and collect stories. No problem. Okay, went well, with field recorder, my little Canon right. Rebel, sent me to work. Went, visited my Compassion Kids. The second time I went, it felt like family. The third time we went was heavy. And I don't believe at that time that we were going in well equipped at all because we came home with more than we left with. The last, I remember we were shooting, we got clearance to shoot in a genocide memorial. The way they have memorials there in Rwanda is everything remains. They leave the truth to speak and there's very little, you know, description about what happened. Everyone knows what happened. You walk in and you feel it. And So I'm trying to tell this story. I'm trying to say, okay, I have three cameras. And I'm going to, okay, so there's these skulls here and there's these stack of femurs and all of these children's clothes and the rosaries. And I'm trying to tell the story from beginning to end. And as I'm telling it in my head to myself, something was just darker about it. I was there, like there's a... There was a the small parsonage in the church. They didn't clean anything. And this is where, this room was where they kept the children and would throw babies against the wall. And I just remembered seeing that remain, like the collective remains of these children on the wall, I thought I can't shoot this. I can't I can't bear the weight of this truth. And I know that God allows for darkness to come like with Job, he allows for darkness to come that won't squish us, but it'll rip everything away. And that was where it began. We came home from that trip and my husband was the worst he's ever been. And that was the moment that I became suicidal. And this was uh, 2010. The last day of the year. Um, Over the course of the next seven months, I was in the outpatient program at Philhaven and got a lot of amazing guidance there and realized that if I filed for divorce, that I wouldn't go to hell. And so I did. When I did that, it wasn't just my marriage that started to break, it was everything. Over the course of the separation and then the official divorce, I was bouncing around from basement to basement at an attic and in the car with my kiddos. So I started to understand what forgiveness meant with, I can beg God to heal somebody, and he can give them every opportunity to, but if they desire to remain trapped in their sickness or if they choose to stay there and not receive the hand, that is not God's fault. And there is Mm -hmm. still mercy waiting. There is never an end that God has not answered that prayer. He's still waiting for the reciprocation so that he can be healed. Um, Co-parenting is something that I have really fallen in love with as far as like a practice because if I look at my children's lives and remove my own feelings, I think there's a lot to be learned for what goes into making them whole. And the more forgiveness and selflessness that can be poured in around them, the better. So I started choosing that and the public perception of this experience was very interesting because they interpreted my joy as a lack of mourning. They interpreted my joy as um, selfishness or clearly she's having an affair, look how happy she is, look how well dressed she is, look how. Um, that was another thing that was easy to cast off to the side and that's when I also learned the power of having my own conversations. Everyone wants to know what happened with a divorce. I'm not gonna tell anybody anything about somebody and expose their pain. Mm -hmm. I know that's really popular right now, especially with politics. And when it comes down to it, I would rather honor him in the hopes that he rises to it. Mm. And it took, I think, about a year or two to start doing that. I forget where I read it first, and maybe it was my grandmother. My grandmother has a lot of great things to say. And speaking truth towards somebody's life whether or not they deserve it. This is where the story gets kind of real for me, as if it didn't yet. I was dating Kenny for about a year and a half Mm -hmm. when he cheated on me. Mm. Sucked. And then we broke up. Kenny had started sending me letters in the mail, like one a day. I was not, I I was missing Kenny and I loved him. Mm. But I had some trust issues and I didn't, want his skeevy self in my life. <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah. But as I was reading these letters, I actually saw proof of change, which was weird. When we broke up, he started he took himself back to church, started going to church, started going to counseling, and he legit changed. Mm. Like mm. people never do, but mm-hmm. he did. Um so when he asked to pursue me again, it was like about a month and a half later. I was all like, nah, but nah. <laughs>
3: nah, dog. <laughs> like, no. That's a no for
1: me, dog. <laughs> uh, I'm going a, I'm to a
2: say no. <laughs> but I, he, I think it was, it was like one evening. It just seemed like it was supposed to happen. So I told him, listen, I don't need to date you. I know you. said, I think I know you. If we're getting together, it's going to be for a forward-moving adventure. And we're starting with counseling because we have some issues. And he's like, I'm okay with that. I said, all right, well, I'll talk to you after you make that appointment then. <laughs> went home, and he had booked the appointment the following morning. We were dating. And we, were, we started dating Wednesday and went to counseling on Friday. Mm. And we were at counseling every other week for about eight months. I'm oh. cohabbing. I'm with another family on South South Queen Street where at first we went into with the idea of, it used to be a crack house, right, this place. It was owned by my friend Alex Reedy, who's a, an amazing realtor, an amazing friend of mine. And he went to collect rent one day and realized, like, there's a lot of cars pulling up and pulling away. <laughs> and there's some rooms I'm not allowed to go in. What's happening in this house? And he found out what was happening. And oh he's gosh. like, Y'all have a month, actually. Is this when you lived in there? No, this oh. is beforehand. So whoa. he reached out to me, and at this time, I'm living with Keith and Bev Wilson in their adorable house on Orange Street in their attic, right, with my kids in this attic. It was amazing, actually. It was awesome. Dope. It was amazing. And I was paying $300 a month. So Alex calls me up, and, he's, and I'm working at Iron Hill, so $300 a month is like sometimes all my shifts. <laughs> so he's like, Joyous, I believe that God wants you to live in this house with your kids. It's a five-bedroom house. It's a lot of space, tall ceilings, and God needs to change it from what it is to what it's supposed to be, and you're supposed to live there. And I was like, dude, can't afford nothing like that. I can afford, I'm paying $300 a month right now. And He's like, 250 move in. All right, cool. All right. So I moved in, and I asked the Rothermills. I'm like, guys, do this with me. Cohab with me. And that way, we could watch each other's kids. It'll be fun. So we're praying over the place. We're painting. We're finding Like, we're pulling bags out of windowsills. It was something. Whoa. We tilled the backyard and metal detected that. Guys, y'all, let me say... <laughs> There was some bones. No. Yes. Oh, there were these. Wow. There was lots and lots of like syringes and all sorts yeah. of stuff because we had to get that out of there. Or our kids gonna be rolling back with their feet, you know, oh, bare feet. Oh, yeah. So, we're like pulling all of this out. There was a boat that was left there. Like whose boat was That's that? That's awesome.
1: It had like, like that in the city. Is it like a, a garden now? Like you get like a mini garden. So what we ended
2: up doing was we thought we would have a community garden. So we tilled everything out. We had it all ready to be a community garden. Then we realized none of us are gardeners. So we had Ben Degitano come. And we're like, dude, will you like do this? Like, okay. So we had all these like dreams of doing this. And we were in there like a month. Man, that was, I could write some stories. Because being in a place that was what it was, mm-hmm. even though you're living there and having your house shows and you're having your prayer meetings, you get seekers every night.
1: That oh, man. was wait people that just want to stay Seekers. people that no, just show up people that don't drugs. know
3: it's no longer a crack house oh yeah so we're
2: there yeah. and on the other side of this so of we've got emotions. our babies like learning to crawl and the door oh. opens they're trying to crawl and there's someone that's looking for a fix and it went on for like a couple months yeah Holy cow. Oh, to where yeah. like
0: wow.
2: <clears throat> our hearts are broken because you have no chain you can't help that person they're mostly not from Lancaster. So they just pull through and they think they can get this fixed. And then you see that they're not only am I not who they're expecting to open the door, but then you watch their disappointment that this isn't going to. Yeah. And
3: they're desperate.
2: It was heartbreaking. So we learned that that hour was between like eight and nine. And if we were out there with our guitar, if I was out there with my kids and my guitar from six to seven, we actually had an opportunity to meet people and The guy who was dealing on our doorstep wouldn't hang out. So like so this was like this was the experience. And it was beautiful there were moments of beauty where I saw my kids unafraid and loving, receiving their peers and fearless. But there were other moments that were dark. And then I find out I'm pregnant. And immediately. That baby is going to die, comes into that like legalistic part of my brain. God's gonna strike that kid. You are not allowed to love that kid. That baby is conceived out of sin. Get rid of it. This is what is happening. You ready? This is amazing. Mm. So, abortion immediately. That's what I'm thinking. Got it. I can't do this. I cannot do this. I can barely wake up and choose joy. There're eggshells everywhere. If I add hormones, and I add mm. this type of change and shame, I'm gonna die. I'm just gonna die. I can't do this, and it's crippling. And I, I, my head just started going back. I was backpedaling. I can't. I can't. I can't. So I decided I'm. I'm just gonna abort the baby. I'm not gonna tell Kenny. That lasted about three minutes. Pick up the call, Kenny. I pick up the phone, Kenny. I start crying. I have to tell him, I'm, preg- I'm pregnant, and he was stoked. <sighs> I'm like, mm-mm, no, 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 why are you happy? He said, I, and I'm like, no, we're breaking up right now. We are breaking up right now. No, I'm not gonna have this with you. I'm not gonna have this in my life, no. And he said, shut up and get over, and get over here. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. No, you don't understand, you come over to my house, okay. I have no feeling of home anywhere, mind you. When I got divorced, the ideal and the very thing of what home is left and never came back. Because I was living in a car, I was living in a basement, I was living in a hotel here and there. There was no sense of home, there was no sense of belonging or resting. It was always moving and doing and serving and praying and feeling and emptying. There was nothing ever that refilled, no matter how pretty I made things, it just didn't, it was not home. So I come into his house, which is a bachelor pad. It's like three guys living there. Sounds like my apartment. It was, it was pretty oh. So <laughs> I roll into right. that place, and <laughs> it's just him at the time. And apparently, he had been dancing. like He was so happy. I came over. It takes eight and a half minutes. I drove over there.
3: It sounds like Kenny. He's crazy. He's pretty crazy. <laughs> he's so crazy. He's a crazy guy.
2: <laughs> so I come in, and he's like, hey, we're going to have a baby. And I'm like, we're breaking up. We're not having a baby. (laughs) And he was like, No, we're not breaking up. And I'm like, Then we're getting married in four
1: weeks. (laughs)
2: And he's like, Okay. Now, the reason he was so stoked was this was done that morning. Uh He had. Uh, What are you holding up for? It's an engagement ring. Mm -hmm. This was finished that morning that he and his father had visited different jewelers with a design, with the stone in mind.
3: So he was planning on proposing already?
2: Yes, and this was finished. He had been working on this since we started going back to counseling. To me, I didn't wanna get married because I was pregnant. I didn't want to enter into something where you're promising forever when I know what marriage is like. I'm not gonna enter into that off of force and off of anything else other than I commit and I know what's coming. But he was stoked. So, I, so, all right, then we're doing this. And then we did. We moved forward. Four and a half weeks later, we were married. It was a beautiful wedding. Mm. I fit my dress. It was everything I wanted it to be. I, mar- I We got married at the farmhouse where my grandmother grew up, Aww. which is now a bed and breakfast. Underneath this oak tree, it was romantic. This is this journey that this is where it becomes pivotal because do you remember what I said when I knew I was pregnant? That baby's going to die. The baby's going to die. It's a representation of your shame. David and Bathsheba, that's all I'm thinking about. So, baby's grown in there and I'm not allowed to become attached. I'm not allowed to love its movement. If anything, I am, I am almost, I would almost say hating this life in me because it was a representation of my shame and my you know my my very public shame we're married the kids are doing well in the house the home is not quite feeling like a home yet and i go into labor it was the most difficult labor it was like it was so difficult and if you know anything about labor i'm sorry guys i know none of y'all have like
1: I was I've there been for, in the room. I was there for Kent's second. I haven't birth. had a baby. So I was there anyway, for the first. I have. Well, I mean, no idea I was, I was at the ropes. hospital. Oh, does that count? There's a lot right? of noises. There's anyway. a lot of noises and smells. I think I made the video
3: real. <laughs> so good. <laughs> Gabe's in the background. <laughs> oh,
1: <that's mean. laughs> What's that? <laughs> 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 yes.
0: Oh, <well. laughs>
2: you are welcome, public. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so oh, like, man. this birth was very symbolic of the pregnancy and my relationship with the baby is very, like, distant. So, I'm expecting this baby to be born and something is going to be wrong or the baby will not be breathing. And I'm emotionally prepared for it. I've prepared for mm. it this whole time. But when she was born, First of all, there was relief because that birth thing sucks, (laughs) it hurts, (laughs) everything hurts. (laughs) But I'm holding a life in my arms, equating a, a human being selfishly to my shame. But when I looked in her eyes and first held her tight, I realized that she wasn't a representation of my shame. She was a human being and she was the very message of grace to me. And to her, she had the gift of life. It was mind blowing to go from, I should, I, I should abort this baby, and then hanging, not hanging that up. That's, that spirit was there inside of me. I cannot have this baby. This baby is going to be problematic. It's going to cause pain. It will show pain and my life has only been pain I can't do anymore. It was almost like God was like, let me tell you what you can do. You can receive some grace. You can stop judging yourself. You can stop taking on as if you are standing in front of the most strict and judgmental church and having everyone judge you from head to toe. How about your mind? And how about that human being that I just made for you to watch become has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me and everything to do with the future. So I was just like told off in that room there. And I brought Nightingale home and dude, it was like all of that pent up love that people normally are like lavishing on their, you know, growing baby in utero. It's like all of it just came in and Nightingale's her name. She's a night song, the one that sings in the night. Mm. So grace and as a mom i'm really stoked that my kids are not here right now and not touching me not yanking this thing away from my face not this would not be safe they would totally puncture right through this yeah and swing off of something that yeah. way like yeah. this is a really good lever so
3: <laughs> no. by the way i have photos for you you have photos for me? That's why I keep inviting you to the studio. You know the one with little Kenny on your back?
2: Yeah.
0: I've got like
3: 10 more of those and the family group shot. And oh, you need Sam. them because they are so real.
2: So honest, right?
3: Yeah, your kids are amazing. I, the previews I saw were hilarious.
2: Those kids are like, they are my life, man.
3: They're like the squad. <sighs> those, kids. those kids all have huge personalities. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in a way like they're obnoxious. I mean that in the way that... Like, yeah, of course they're energetic, they're young and everything, but those kids, every single one of them are really smart. And I see how mm. your influence manifests in them. Um, Nightingale mm. is this tiny little human that like doesn't talk a ton and just looks like a mini you sort of oh my with word. the most adorable overbite. Her overbite it, it's can... like incredible. <laughs> Um, I can't, and she's obsessed with camels. She knows but me. her
2: mouth won't let her say camels; it's camels
3: Yeah, Aww. yeah, because she's like tiny camels. and young, and it's amazing. She, she knows me a little bit, but she has this loving, trusting spirit.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Where, when she sees mom's cool with this guy, you know, she'll come right up and hug me. Yes. Like I'll just like get down on my knees and like ask for a hug. She comes right up. She mm-hmm. is that's there's something really. It's refreshing. It's really refreshing, and it it shows like bravery and trust, and um, mm-hmm. I don't know. And it's fine for a kid to be shy, but there's something profound about that when you're that young. And I also see the way every single one of your kids observes things. You just watch them, and they're they got a lot going on in their brains. They're like really really smart kids. Yes. Like I'm yeah. sorry, I'm just sitting here stewing on this, thinking about like each one of your kids and just how prof- how unique, how profoundly unique, and um. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and to think we're talking about my children, I'm bringing myself back to this piece of the story I was telling earlier about Nightingale and how, you know, when I found out I was expecting with her, that was not a normal time reaction experience. Yeah. And to think about, we have so much power as human beings. You know, I did have the power to not have her here. Amazing, amazing to me that yeah, she is breathing, she's here. And I am completely different. Mm-hmm. I'm a completely different person today. Mm-hmm. Today I am, I'm a different mother, I'm a different wife, I'm a different, I'm a different stranger to everybody. I have a different story. But Nightingale's life, it's funny how important that moment was because I was pregnant but I was pregnant. It was a symptom. It wasn't a soul. But Nightingale, we're talking about her bouncing Mm. around, being a light.
3: Mm. Yeah, this incredible human. Shining
2: and trusting and how refreshing, especially in today. Mm -hmm. It reminds me, these children are reminding me of places where I've been And also, the exclamation point is always, it's not about me. Kind of makes me feel really small, and being in charge of something like this, this blows my mind, it blows my mind. Mm. I'm sitting here on this couch with this story and all of its heaviness. In the end, everybody, what, there's so many things that are astounding, but there's a resonating thing about grace I never share the story like this. I never do because the details are not beneficial to many people. Mm-hmm. You know, we're supposed to speak in a way that gives grace to those who hear, an encouraging word, something that's gonna uplift everybody. In the end, what I'm most stoked on are the things that I don't have regrets about. And for me as a human being, there's not a whole lot of those, you know? But I don't have guilt today. What I see looking back is just a reminder of falling and being lifted and falling and being lifted. And I'm pretty stoked on it all.
1: When I met you, it was a very, like, it was a strange situation for sure. I'm sure Mm -hmm. for you it was really awkward. But... I was doing my Instagram project where I was just talking to people and like. Is that how you
3: guys met? That's yeah. how we met. That is so freaking cool. Yeah, that's rad. <laughs> I vividly what better, remembered. what better person to approach. Oh, I was so happy about some, you know, yeah, for something like that. And, I
1: was and so like,
2: happy
0: to so be I'm honest. Doing
2: this in Lancaster and here
1: and yeah, you were so excited about it. And I was like, this woman might be crazy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Cause, cause just, I was, I was so happy, Gabe, to meet you that way because. I have been praying for a greater understanding that, I mean, with so much division, there's so much right now. People are not hearing each other. And along with that one simple thing, the biggest loss is we stop caring about story. We stop caring about what brought you here. What brought, I, I think the best part of understanding someone else is just, tell me about your childhood in like five sentences. Wow. Tell me about Yeah. Tell me about what you want in two sentences for the world. Tell me about your best joy and what you dream about. What do you dream about in two sentences? And if you listen, you'll find out it it's nothing about hurting anybody else. It has everything about everybody has the same things. We're all made up similarly. We all want to Contribute to something beautiful and something good. Mm -hmm. Fear and division are, I think they're a constant challenge to love, but love will always grow up and through that. And it's through simple tools like listening, asking, giving a platform to people that matter. What Gabe was doing that day, I was super stoked on because you just focus and you read a room. This person may have a story. This person may have a story. I'm sure you had a method too.
1: It was Some if they thing. were sitting alone.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> people, I mean, first of all, you're not interrupting a meeting. And yeah, second of yeah. all, like, they'll probably awkward. have time. Yeah. But how about the people who don't feel noticed? This, this is why I was so excited to meet you that day. Because when you see somebody sitting alone, and you help them say their story out loud and then put their story out there you are reminding them of their place that is important worth listening to and as the likes pour in and the comments pour in in a culture where likes and comments translate to value you are forcing value in and all they did was consent to a short interview mm-hmm. easily done mm-hmm. you know not always easy i'm sure but yeah. easily done and a contributor to the culture that drew us together even tighter without even knowing it. And I knew it from the back. I knew that this is what was going to be happening. It was an answer to prayer. And it kind of I wanted to do something similar. Yeah. And as as you did it, I'm like I don't need to. Someone's doing this. <laughs> and not only is somebody else doing it that doesn't have five kids. <laughs> somebody else is doing it that I could be backing up with prayer. And I could be praying for the right person to come across that needs to be heard or needs to be understood. So, like meeting you that day, super stoked. Oh, that's
1: awesome! Yeah, thank you. Well, there are definitely times where I was praying, where I was like, uh, "You have somebody for me," and like, I hope it's the right person. And there, there would be days where it was like really heavy stuff sometimes, mm-hmm. and then there were days where it was just light. And you know, I just hope that was who I was supposed to reach to. I
2: Wasn't it refreshing, guys? Because it would be heavy, and then it's just like. I'm here for Millersville. So it's kind of fun. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. yeah.
1: This guy's like, well, I've been living in
2: my car for five years. I've been like here. And this, and this like paradigm. Mm-hmm. This is our community. So vast. As we're all whole, together. Yeah. So different.
3: Mm-hmm. You see the whole picture finally.
2: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. And Sam, this, I mean, I know this is like, you guys need to ask me questions. But this really tied into like your heart too with what you were doing with what you're doing with your white t-shirt idea. And your heart behind all of this, everybody matters. Yeah, Everybody matters. The truth of who they are matters. Like not how they want to perform in front of a camera, but how they're perceived by everybody else. In truth, yeah. in a white t-shirt, I see your face. I see you. I hear your story. I see you.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I love that God put this message in his people, his creative people, and it's giving into the, into the social media world in a way that is making Lancaster one of its best versions of itself.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Joyce, thank you so much for sharing It's been incredible thank I've you. really just learned so much
3: Sam I didn't contribute much Not much, but we're glad you're here <laughs> Ken, Just a, just a few to times again. of me clearing my, bre- my, yeah. my voice
2: And
0: everything and else
3: And that's a wrap
0: Thanks for listening to the Hingework Podcast Hingework is a creative co-working space In the heart of downtown Lancaster, PA Find out more at www.hingework.com